sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, or if you have ideas for people to not to have on the show again, please contact <laughs> us. The easiest way to do that is by email. The address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. And I'm overjoyed to be joined in studio once again by Father Chris Cowles. Hi, Father. Hey, Chris. It doesn't sound like you want me on the show well, anymore well, from that opening segment. You're like giving segment. sound effects during my open, throwing me off. You so said I ignition. I was just like thinking of fire. I know. I, know. I, I appreciate that, Father. Um, <laughs> Father and I are going to be talking today about his answer to the question, what does it mean to be Christian? And we're going to be focusing on the heart of the word Christian is Christ, not Chris. We'll get into that. It's yeah. Christ. Um, and what does that word actually mean? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition as Father Chris Cowles answers the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? If you've never listened to the show before, again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Been in that role since 2002. Been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999. Uh, she's from Ohio. I'm from Central Minnesota, but all five of our kids are born and raised here in as the, well, sunny, as the telemarketers say, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. <laughs> Did you know that originally the sunny, sunshine state was South Dakota before it was Florida? No. Yeah, they stole that from Why is it, our how did we give that up? Um, I, it they, was taken. It, it was taken. By force. Uh, probably, and by people who live in a state that's typically warmer than ours. And it probably has more people, so they, they could yeah, like, outvote they just us took it away. And we became the Rushmore State. The Rushmore State. There we go. Uh, who are you, Father Chris Cowles? My name is Father Christopher Cowles, pastor of Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yes, I speak decent Spanish and all right English. Still working on that part <laughs> as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pleased to be here with you today. It's, it's great to have you. Um, Father Cowles has been on the show before, last week actually, um, if you're listening to this live. Episode 418 um, had a great conversation about his story, or at least a good chunk of his story. More to come. We might have you back on sometime for Father Cowles. The rest of, what's the rest of the story? What's the rest, the of, rest the of the story with Father Chris Cowles. Yeah. Since after you decided to basically follow God's calling, what's he done to you since then? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. He's done a lot of cool things. A lot of cool things. So I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Again, looking at what it means to be a Christian. Quick story. So you, you, we've joked. We joked in the last episode. We spent way too much time joking um, about how we're both named Chris. And I, I, you, I used to harass you more about this. Let's be honest here. I've let it kind of let it go. But your your parents spelled your named you. K-R-I-S, where mine is the more traditional and authentic C-H-R-I-S. And I sent it. Uh, <laughs> but did you ever, maybe not because of the K, but there was a time, my small town um, newspaper in Minnesota, I was in high school, um, some event, extracurricular event, and the caption underneath, you know, so-and-so from left to right, you know, John Smith, da 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 and Christ Bergwald. Christ, Christ Bergwald. So the, the the journalist or whoever the editor when they were when they were you know um, creating the caption, you know, must have been a good Christian because they just by habit threw that extra Christ T onto my name. Uh, at some a high school a classmate said, "It looks like you got a promotion." It's well, you know, so 
Yeah, that's a promotion for sure. Yeah. Um, that's, that's some hard shoes to step so, into at that no, point yeah, in time. Exactly. Um, so Jesus' last name is Burkwald, but, but you didn't know that. So I, I thought I'm it really was intru- Christ. I'm, what are you talking about? It's Jesus Christ. I know, exactly. Jesus Ma- Christ. Mary Christ, Joseph Christ, and Jesus Christ. There you go. You got um, it. So you're, you're, that's the angle you're going to take. So let's just start off with that, the basic overall question, though, Father. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you answer that question? So I begin that, and this, just want to do a basic caveat. It's very hard to answer this question directly with just one, um, Absolutely. one answer because of the fact that being a Christian has so many different facets. Yep. And we'll talk a little bit about those facets. But what I want to focus in on today is what Christ means. So we, we've heard the title thousands, if not tens of thousands of times, and we hear also the term Messiah, um, one of them being basically the transliteration from Hebrew, the other being from Greek, which both mean the anointed one. Mashiach. In Mashiach, the anointed one. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I don't know what just happened to my throat. Yes. Um, but both of them meaning the anointed one. This is what the people were waiting for. They were waiting for the an Jewish anointed people. One. The Jewish people. At Jesus' people. time. Exactly. Now, as time went on, there were even other cultures who began to to have this hope welling up inside their hearts for someone who would come into the world to save them from darkness and sin. But especially the Jewish people were waiting for the anointed one. This was the basic title. Um, And as they waited longer and longer and longer through the course of time, especially through um, close to 500 years between the last prophet and when Jesus came, their hearts were ablaze and were just ex- in deep expectation. They were looking in every which way direction, hoping for the next Messiah. And people would come and willingly claim that title. Sure. Now, when Jesus comes onto the scene, he's careful <clears throat> about how he uses that name and how he uses that title because they think the Messiah, first of all, is going to be one who comes and who destroys their enemies, who's a dictator or who's a king just like King David who brings the defeat to all their enemies, who brings prosperity back to Israel and establishes a, a reign for all the people from then on. And I think it, we have to be fair to them. I mean, so David is like the, the so David is the anointed one. He wasn't the first one to be literally anointed with oil as a priest or a prophet or a king. He wasn't the last one before Jesus. But when the Jews thought of the Messiah they're waiting for, they're thinking of, of, David. of, of David as the paradigm. Totally. And what was David? He was a prophet. He was a priest. Uh, he wore priestly garments. And he was above a king who conquered Israel's enemies and grew the kingdom into an empire. Most definitely. And then they lost it all. So they sin and they're deported and so on. So I can kind of see why by by the first, what we call the first century AD, by G- the time Jesus comes on the scene, they're looking back to the glory years of eight, 900 years before when David had done his thing and then they lost it all. They were deported and now they finally come back. And so they're thinking, surely the next David is going to be like the first David and free us now from the Romans and 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 restore the glory of the empire. Most definitely. They had gone through slavery in various forms from Assyria, then to Babylon, then to Persia, then to um, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And they're thinking, who's going to finally be the one to free us from all of this? But this is the thing. Their eyes were so focused on a simple human freedom Mm -hmm. when it wasn't a galactic universal freedom from sin, from brokenness. And this is what Jesus comes on the scene to do. I really, galactic universal, I really like that. 
Thanks. That's what happens when you watch a little bit too much Marvel. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the truth is, I mean, he comes in seeking this universal freedom for each one of us on a deep, profound level, not to free us from just the Romans or the Greeks or oppression. He's seeking to free us from death and sin itself and to give us a new life. So as Jesus enters in, he is this Messiah, the anointed one. We see this happen at the moment of his baptism in which the Holy Spirit comes to rest upon him. Later on, we hear in Luke chapter four, how Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me Mm. because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. This is coming from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. Um, So all of these are pointing to Jesus' role as the anointed one. Uh, As we know, in the Old Testament, they anointed priests, prophets, and kings, typically with chrism, the same kind of oil that we use in baptisms today, a combination of um, olive oil and balsam, which is this sweet-smelling ointment. Balsamic vinegar? Oh. No, I I don't think so. I think, no, not quite. Um, I can't go in more detail on that because you totally threw me off right now. But we'll move on. Um, But either way, um, they were anointed in this particular way, and their lives are the the priests, prophets, and kings. Oftentimes, they even felt an infusion of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Mm. It says that Saul, after his anointing, began to have this kind of prophetic state that he entered. And this is true of a lot of the prophets and priests. So Jesus is anointed not with chrism, but with the Holy Spirit. Mm. By the way, chrism takes its name from Christ. Uh, because it's an anointing. It's meant right. for anointing. Again, the, we, we, we as Christians today, we hear Christ, we think of Jesus, but this is but reminding we're forgetting about this anointed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So all of this being said, um, Jesus comes on the scene. He is the true Messiah, but he comes in a way that people are not expecting. He offers his life for our sins. Um, he saves us in every way that we could ever imagine, not necessarily from the oppression that we expected uh, that he was going to save us from. Um, But he comes and he does things that people would never expect. He comes and he does set the captives free. He does come and exercise those who are bound to sin and demons. He moves on even to healings, all to prepare their hearts and their minds for the coming of the gospel into their lives. So all of this is done. People begin to believe in him and to follow him. And they begin to see his works and have a deep faith in him. Jesus offers his life on the cross. He dies and he rises from the dead. After 40 days with his disciples, he ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit is sent. Now, the name Christian doesn't formally arrive, I believe, until Antioch, Yep. correct? Yep. Um, so this is where Paul and Barnabas are um, following Christ, um, but after Christ has risen into heaven. So they're, they're followers of him. They're known as people of the way. Yep. But they take this name Christian. And if we really think about it, every single one of us is anointed if we are true Christians. Um, there's an actual physical anointing that takes place in baptism. So when we're baptized, um, we're first anointed usually with the oil of catechumens um, to free us from sin, but also in a sense to protect us from evil. And then later on, on the crown of our head, we are anointed with chrism, the Mm. same oil, which represents the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives, that we are also priests, prophets, and kings. I'll tell people in the midst of our baptism class that your child now is a little Christ. And it, it's one of the things they're like, what? I have a little Cristito? Now, got to remember, I have a Hispanic parish. And when I say things like that, they just react and like, wow. Like, I, my child is a, is a Christ. But then I have to point to them. You also are Christ. You also are anointed ones. So there's a physical anointing that takes place. But there's also, um, while that physical anointing takes place, a spiritual anointing that comes upon each one of us. Yep. The Holy Spirit enters into our hearts and we are conformed in a profound and deep way uh, to the life of Christ. Now, 
All of this could have happened when we were still babies. All of this could have happened before we had the ability to say, I renounce or I profess my faith. Oh, speaking of that. So one of my friends in seminary, this is great. Um, he had to do the- Hold on, hold on. So Father Cowles, you listen, there's not a vlog yet. We'll, it'll, it will be one day, but he just really sat up and put his, so this is going to be, whatever it's about to come out of his mouth, it's going to be really good. He's really excited about. Okay. You just brought their expectations up way too I know, high. I know. That's not fair. I know. Don't do that anymore. Okay? okay. Just let them listen and we'll have some fun with it. But so one of my classmates, he was at this time, a transitional deacon was doing a baptism. And we know the kids aren't going to be able to say, I renounce, or I do, or I infant do, babies. infant babies, when they're doing the renewal of their um, their baptismal vows, the parents in place of the child, parents and godparents. So he begins off by saying, do you renounce Satan? And all the other people say, as expected, I, I do. do. And the child, without missing a beat, responds, <laughs> and my good deacon friend looks at him and says, Oh, this baby knows more than we realize. <laughs> Good response. Good response. Nice. So if you're just tuning in, <laughs> this is Ignition. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I am talking today with Father Chris Cowles, um, priest of the Diocese who Falls, about his answer. What does it mean to be a Christian? And what it comes down to is... No, that that's not, oh, that's not okay. it. But okay. if... That's the only thing you get out of this? Well, at least you had a fun time. Uh, whatever. But <laughs> truthfully, after after a child has been anointed, they have been anointed both physically and yep. spiritually in that moment. But it is yet for that anointing to take profound effect in their lives. Because later on, they have to not only accept that anointing, but in a sense, release that anointing. So there's a moment in which each one of us accepts the faith for ourselves. We, yes, have received the faith in our moment of baptism. Our parents have professed their faith, and they have allowed that faith to enter into our hearts. The simple little um, baptismal candle that shines with that light represents that small little faith that's entered our hearts. And just like we have to protect it from bad influences in the world, just as we have to protect a small flame from the wind, um, our parents are called to protect that faith throughout time and watch it grow. I, I like to think of it, like it's, if you think of so the, the idea of candle or, or light, it's like a, taking a, a huge flashlight, like the, the, I don't know if they make these anymore, but where they had the the massive batteries, like the big yes. square batteries. Uh, so at baptism, the battery is put into the light and it's not turned on yet. But when you get to a certain point in your life, a certain age, that's where you flip the switch and hopefully you shine and illuminate all those around you. But the battery was given maybe years ago when you were a, Teeny, tiny little baby. Let's build on that analogy. Okay. Let's say that that little flame is a pilot light. Ah. So think for most people who have furnaces, yep. it all begins with a small little flame. Yep. And once that um, gas is added to the flame, it's enough to heat the entire home. Amen. Same thing with our cars. It begins with a small little ignition. Um, and now- Set your faith. Oh, wait. Yeah. There's, there's this whole ignition thing. I've heard about this before. But, and this is the, the incredible part. We have faith in God, but we have faith in that car too. There's thousands of little teeny explosions happening on a yeah, regular yeah, basis. And yeah. we trust yeah. that it's going to push us down the road and it's not going to blow up in our face. Um, so the faith begins as a small little flame and can become this blazing bonfire in our lives if we allow it. But we have to basically add gas to the fire. Yep. Add gas to the fire. So this is what it means for us to then begin to, in a sense, accept the Christian faith and make it our own. Um, and each one of us has our own story of how we do that. 
It can be we can learn about the stuff through catechesis. We can go through the basic um, kerygma and evangelization, which is where the word, um, the very simple message of God's love and what he has done for us is given to us. But there's a moment where it's not just information passing through our brain. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's like two wires are connected, mm-hmm. and we make this huge shift in our lives. As so many people have said, um, the one of the biggest distances to travel is 18 inches, the distance from our head to our heart. Amen. And for most of us growing up, we receive regular catechesis. We know what it is to believe. We, we actually um, are taught who Jesus is and so forth, but at a certain point in time, do we believe it? Do we really accept it for ourselves? And at that moment, we're, in a sense, opening up that anointing. So the anointing isn't just something that's placed upon us. It's something that's meant to be utilized and used. So the anointing was given, and the Holy Spirit entered into our hearts, but he resides there, and he desires to live in each one of us. I like to think of, so with the with the, the, the head-to-heart thing, so... Um, there are a lot of things that I know about the people who have relationships with. I know a lot of facts about them, right? I can, I can know their height or their hair color, their eye color or whatever. So let's take my wife. So I, Jermaine has brown hair. Um, so she's a brunette. That's, that's a, that's a fact that I know, but I also know that she loves me. And that is a fact. That's that, a miracle. Somebody does. <laughs> it's a miracle. Praise God. Jermaine, God bless you. Stop throwing if you're listening me off. To this, you, why are you interrupting me when I'm talking? This is so rude. I'm just imitating the master at this point in time. Um, the, the knowledge I have of her love matters to me more than the knowledge of what her hair color is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so knowing the truths of our faith, like it goes from just facts that I'm aware of to, oh my gosh, this matters to my life. To be honest, the color of her hair doesn't matter. So as it turns to gray, which it may or may not be doing right now, um, that doesn't matter. It may not be happening right now. But the fact that she loves me is a truth that makes all the difference in the world to me. So the truths of our faith can remain as matters of fact, but in but in fact, they are meant to transform my life. Exactly. So here's the thing, though. I can say that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is everything in the entire world, and my life can stay the same. Am I a Christian at that point in time? In a certain sense, ob- objectively, way, yes, I am right. a Christian You're baptized. because I've been baptized. Yeah. I've received this anointing. This anointing is on my heart and is on my body. It's it's on all parts. But have I begun to live it out in an authentic right. way? The reason they called them Christians in Antioch is how they lived. Yep. Is how they lived. It wasn't just by saying, we heard that these people believe this particular way. Yep. No, their lives were lived in a different way. So what happened was <clears throat> the way that they believed changed everything about how they lived their lives about how they loved, about how they cared for others, about how they saw them, how they reacted to people. You know, we've been dealing with so many difficulties in our current culture right now, whether it be with COVID, whether it be with um, trying to deal with a prejudice and possible racism in our world. And I'm not going to say possible. It is. I mean, it exists. It's around us. All of this being said, um, Christians should be at the vanguard in the front saying, we are going to show what it means to be Christian, which means what it means to love. What it means to live what like it means Christ. to live like Christ, to be other Christ in yep. the world. Um, and this at times is a, a huge confusion to people. Sure. Um, so I guess there's like I said, there's multiple facets to it. We we receive an anointing as Christ does. 
um, we find ourselves filled with the Holy Spirit, but then we're called to use that flame of faith and ignite it and to begin to change the entire world from that moment on. So it's somewhat comprehensive, but the truth is when we think of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian, I mean, there's so many yeah. facets to this way of life. If you just turned in, tuned into Ignition, I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with, today with Father Chris Cowles about just that. What does it mean to be a Christian? And we've been focusing on that word Christ, which is at the heart of the, the word Christian, and how it means anointed one and how Jesus was the anointed one. Father, I want to go back in the time that we have left, if you don't mind, to the freedom that you talked about at the beginning. So I, I think that one of the things that when you see uh, somebody who is a Christian who's living their faith, as you said, where it's not just a matter of the head, but it's a matter of the heart, and they're living their faith um, to the full in a really vibrant, attractive way, what is attractive about it is that they, you can almost see or recognize a freedom in them, that they're not troubled by what's going on around them, that they're not troubled. Even, even if they are literally a live, they're literally enchained. Um, if, if they're in prison for whatever reason, but they are still have a freedom that I, as a literally a free man lack that is attractive where whatever is happening, there's a peace, there's a joy, there's a freedom that they, that, that just burns within them. And that's incredibly attractive. Yeah, that's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> I think he was expecting this incredible verbose reply, um, but he basically, he just laid it out for me. So it's the thing that is so incredible about each and every Christian is, yeah, the freedom that they have. You can notice that in their interior, they are unchained. Yeah. They're unchained. Whereas everything around them might seem chained and broken and falling apart. What's happened is they have somehow wrestled uh, with the deepest issues of life of whether my life matters, whether um, whether there's purpose in what I do, whether I can truly be happy, whether things or stuff or people are going to make me truly happy. And they found that freedom in a person. Well, we could say three people, three persons, <laughs> yes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes. but they found it in Christ. And Christ has allowed them to basically be walking through this world like they're just passing through. Like huh. all of the terrible things, and that doesn't mean that they don't engage what's happening. They do engage what's happening. They do engage injustice and brokenness and hurt. They serve the poor. They care for those who are in need. They share with them good news. Amen. True good news. So I'm going to ask you a question, but I, but then I'm going to tell a story while you're pondering your answer to my question. My question is, um, I'd love to know if there's anybody that comes to your mind, I'd love to know who you know maybe even personally, but maybe it's somebody we all know, who embodies that, that, where you could say, this is an example for our listeners. This example is somebody who lives that. But while you're thinking, what, what I love, uh, I'm thinking back about, you mentioned St. Paul, and one of my favorite stories of St. Paul around this theme is there's a time where he and, and some other Christians were literally imprisoned. Um, they're in prison, uh, and and there's an earthquake, and and the 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 doors of the jail throw open, the chains that were enchained them are set free, and the prisoner wakes up, sees this, and he's going to commit suicide because surely when the when the prison opens, there's the, the, when the the doors break open, the prisoners are going to flee. Mm-hmm. Saint Paul didn't, so he calls him. We're still in here. Who does that? 
Like who, when 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 the the doors of the prison break open, everybody's jailbreak. Like we're we're out of here. Saint Paul didn't. He remained there because whatever was going on in, in terms of his physical surrounding, he was interiorly, internally free because of the depth of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody who you can point to for all of us who embodies and lives that depth of interior freedom? You know, I could bring up all sorts of different saints um, that I know the story of, that I'm deeply devoted to, but I'm actually going to share a story of someone who I spent time with today, Mm. who is one of my parishioners and who's probably just a couple of weeks away from death. Mm. Um, Her name is is, uh, Maria Teresa, and she's been dealing with cancer throughout the course of this entire last year. And she, um, in a in a beautiful way, has been inspiring me by the level of freedom that she has. Mm. So she's been stuck at home. She hasn't been able to eat, and she says that's one of her hardest things because she has stomach cancer, mm. which means that she's been being fed by a tube during the course of these last months. And she'll still she was still cooking for her family, wow. still making meals for them. Um, but in the last couple of days, they found out that she actually has an obstruction in her intestines, and the doctor said, well. We can't go in because we're fearful of what's going to happen to your stomach if we do so. So they said, this is how much time you have left. And I was meeting with her just today, talking with her. And um, yes, she's sick. Yes, she's hurt. Yes, she's weak. But she looked at me and says, it's really hard to believe that I'm going to die. You know, <laughs> like, I don't feel like I'm dying. I don't feel like I'm going to go. Um, and as she shares this story with me, and I've seen how prepared she is. You know, she's received the sacraments multiple times. Her heart is deeply desirous of reconciling with every person that she knows, including areas where her heart has been broken. She doesn't want any of it anymore. She wants Mm. everyone to feel that freedom and that peace. And she looks upon her children who are mourning so terribly her death right now, even though she's not gone. And I see what's happening in her, and I see that she still has this most beautiful smile and this incredible freedom no matter where she's at. No matter, even though that she knows that she's going to go, even though she knows that she's going to leave behind these people, she's she's ready and she's completely free in doing so. And her freedom right now is inspiring her kids, hopefully. Her freedom has inspired me. Mm. Um, and it might sound overly, I mean, she's not a saint and um, we need to continue to pray for her. But in this moment, I also realized that she has given an example to me of what that freedom truly looks like. She's bearing witness to the freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Beautiful. So when we think about what it means to be Christian, we got about a minute and a half left, Father. Let's kind of take everything we had and sum it up for our listeners. Okay. So what you do when you eat spaghetti? (laughs) It might be. What's with the spit at the end? I don't know. Okay. I just had to add an extra sound effect. So when you bring things together... You could say that a Christian is one who just as Christ has been anointed, has been anointed in the moment of their baptism. They've been anointed physically and spiritually. And as that anointing has gone on in their life and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they then begin to live that anointing to un or to basically unleash the power of the Holy Spirit that comes out of them, both in them believing personally in the everlasting life and power of God, his galactic universal mission, as we mentioned. (laughs) But then also it shows forth in every single action of their Mm. lives in which they've been completely and totally transformed. And I love that. So every single, so they're completely integrated, like what they believe 
oozes out of them, out of their pores, like sweat. Oozes out of them. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, that's just beautiful. That's so, yeah, that just draws that's, me that's, in. That's what I thought. Yeah. You know, yeah. is that not a good way to end the episode? Maybe not, no, but that's okay. 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 No, but we're, we're, it's like a beautiful fragrance of perfume. Better, better. That, that, that ushers better. forth from them. Yeah. Not like garlic. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Father, <laughs> this was awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Glad to, glad to. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.